thank you all for being here. It's Friday night. You could be watching Spider-Man 19, but instead you're hanging out with us. Super cool of you. Um, you're going to be smarter for it. Um, I would like to actually pray for this talk because you're going to need the prayer as a lot. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would give us ambition, ambition that will change our world. Uh, I pray that you would give us the stamina to lead our communities, our families, and that you would glorify your name in all of it. I pray that you bless this talk and that you would um, cause your name to shine forth. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, so I have a Bible verse because um, I'm a spiritual person. Uh, Proverbs 22, 29. Uh, Do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before mean men. I'm going to jump around on that verse a little bit, but I want to ask you a question first. And you can raise your hand if you want, or you can raise your hand in your heart of hearts. We're a bunch of evangelicals. We can do that kind of thing. Um, who can envision themselves giving away a million dollars in their lifetime? Again, you don't have to raise your hand if you want to. Yeah. Giving away a million, not making, but giving away a million dollars. How about let's take it to another level. How about giving away a million dollars in one year? So one year, million dollar extravaganza you're giving to nonprofits. Yeah, baby. What about a million dollars every year? Well, at some point, you really need to build the infrastructure that's necessary to make enough money. You can obviously sell your house and give away a million dollars one year and join the homeless community. Um, if I was going to be homeless, I'd be homeless in Austin. I feel like you have amazing services. You have fantastic weather. In Idaho, if you are homeless, you will die. So that's why I'm not there. Um, so, uh, but I want you to think about that. And the reason that you can frame a question by giving away a million dollars is it starts to help us think about godly ambition rather than pagan ambition that has been all around us. And it also frames the fact that you need a goal if you're going to be ambitious. Uh, you can't just say, I'm going to be ambitious generally. You need to be very ambitious specifically. Are you being ambitious for your family? Are you being ambitious for your community, for your church, for your business? Now, ambition is not just measured in dollars. Clearly, I talked about a million dollars giving that away. That's fantastic. You should strive for that if that's your jam. Uh, but if you look at the pastor of our church, Douglas Wilson, he's been ambitious for Christendom, for our church community, um, and he's terrible with money. I'll just tell you that right now. So just because you are ambitious doesn't mean it has to be money, but I do want to talk about godly ambition. And God has made me to be an entrepreneur, and so like the, uh, the foot of the body, that is, uh, um, I, that's my part in the uh, body of Christ. So uh, I'm going to talk about that a bit, but I hope you can translate this into other areas of your life. And if you're unwilling to set an ambitious goal, um, it may be that you don't have faith because you're thinking, well, if I set an ambitious goal, then I might miss it, right? Um, and a lot of Christians go all pious and be like, well, I don't want to be one of those super ambitious people that's in your face, um, and instead they're actually just lazy. And the title of this talk is, Don't Be That. So, let's not be lazy together. Yes. Bam. Nailed it. Okay. I looked up ambition. This is the American Heritage Dictionary. Ambition, an eager or strong desire to achieve something or such as fame or power, right? And this is the traditional uh, definition that all of us deal with. And part of the reason that a lot of Christians are not ambitious is because they don't want to be that. And they've seen the ungodly ambition um, in people around them, in business. Um, you see lots of business people. You see lots of politicians who have this very selfish, ungodly ambition, and therefore they run away from it. We've seen it with politics. Christians don't get involved in politics because they've seen the ugly side of politics, therefore they're gonna do the Benedict Option, they're gonna go away and read a bunch of big books, and that's amazing. I like reading big books, 
um, but then you need to do something with that knowledge. Um, so what does God tell us to do about ambition? And I'm going to jump into that, but we as Christians are created to build things. And I'm going to unpack this a little bit more, but the reason that you as a kindergartner were probably drawing with crayons is because you had this innate desire to create things. You want to you you build, you want to create things, you want to you make things beautiful because we are mini creators created by the great creator who created everything. And so as Christians, we have this instinct, we want to make stuff, we want to create stuff. And that's a good instinct. Um, and the reason that I think business is a really interesting thing to do is because you can bless people at scale with business, which I'm not going to impact tonight, but it's a really interesting topic. Um, you can bless people at scale and you want to create things. When you create a business, you're creating prosperity for individuals, you're creating great products for, for uh, a lot of your consumers, and you are changing communities and lifestyles. So business is a really powerful lever to create, and that's why a lot of us want to create. If you haven't started a business, I forgive you, uh, but tonight is a good time to start that. Um, not everybody's designed to be an entrepreneur, so I do have a lot of principles I want to talk about if you're an employee. Um, but I also would remind you that if you are thinking about starting a business, you don't have to start the next Google. You don't have to start the next extravaganza. You can just create a family business in which you're teaching your kids how to do business. You can keep your full-time job, but if you are making a thing and selling stuff, you are teaching your kids so much about the world, so much about God, because God creates, God creates prosperity. And so when you are taking the ambition of I'm going to create a business that's going to create wealth for my family, it is going to, uh, it is going to teach your kids a lot about their creator. It's going to teach them a lot about how to work hard and how to be ambitious. And so that's what I want you to take away tonight is we're going to have one sentence, and I'm going to say it multiple times, and you're going to have to memorize it because you don't have a choice. Um, when you die, you don't get a refund if there's anything left in the tank. Okay, so when you're, when you're dead, if you had any energy left that you didn't expend to bless other people, you don't get a refund. So try and get as close to empty. It's like when you have a rental car and you paid for the fuel option, and you're like, man, I'm gonna, like, on, in, on fumes, I'm gonna turn that rental car in. So, okay, um, that's a good looking dude. Um, so this is a slide that my people put together, so I fully apologize. A lot of the other slides, if the graphics are bad, it's because I put them together. If they're decent, somebody else did. So who is this guy? You already heard this stuff. I'm also an elder at Christ Church. I'm also on the ACCS board. I'm on the Logos board. Um, I'm doing a housing development in Moscow, which I will tell you right now, trying to do a housing development and a tech startup at the same time with five kids who are playing sports is a really bad idea. Um, but this is back to nothing left in the tank when you're dead. Um, and I do all my own haircuts. And a big shout out to all the bald guys. I mean, we know who we are. No, it's like, yeah, God made a couple perfect heads and the rest of you put hair on. Think about it. Okay, so that's who I am. So, all right, so let's talk about uh, why I should. Why should I be ambitious? Is, is ambitious actually a Christian thing, to be ambitious? So, I want to unpack a couple of things for you. Um, and I messed up my Bible verses, so I'm going to hope that you know your Bible well enough to identify where I've made mistakes. So please pay attention. Um, so when Satan tempted Jesus in the desert, he was offering the kingdoms of this earth. Well, that is about as ambitious as anything out there. I want everything. I want the whole world. And Satan was offering it to Jesus. These were temptations, meaning that it's something that Jesus wanted. It wasn't a bad thing. And in fact, you see later um, in Psalm 110 that um, Jesus wanted this, and he was going to get it, but he was going to get it the right way. But it didn't mean that he didn't want the nations of the earth. 
He was ambitious for the whole world, right? So if we're going to learn to do anything correctly, whether it's ambition or humility or anything, we should always look to Christ, right? Christ is the perfect example of everything. So if we want to learn what real ambition looks like, we look to Christ. Christ wanted the whole world, but he did it in a selfless way. And that's something we'll obviously go into. Um, Abraham's promise was a massive goal by God. I'm going to bless all nations through you. Everybody's going to be blessed through you. Right? Imagine a business goal of like, hey, I'm thinking about starting a welding company, and I'm going to weld everything on the planet. Everyone's like, what are you talking about? Like, but God said, hey, I'm going to bless all nations through you. Right? And so clearly there is this pattern of wildly ambitious, we would say irrationally ambitious, goals that are set down in the Bible. And we need to be learning from that and not shying away from some of the ungodly ambition we've seen. Obviously, the dominion mandate, uh, we need to go and take over the whole world, make it into a beautiful garden. That seems pretty ambitious. Uh, the Great Commission, um, it's not a small commission. It's not a um, just for our community com commission. It's a great commission. Go evangelize everybody, right? So we see this pattern all throughout, that we don't look at those patterns of ambition in the Bible because we think, well, it's a really spiritual thing. Absolutely, it's a spiritual thing, but it's a wild ambition, an ambition that everybody should make fun of in one sense, right? If you're that welder who's like, I'm going to weld everything on the planet, everyone should make fun of you. But God set this pattern of really high goals and standards that you might fail at. Which is interesting. Technically, might nailed it. Um, you might fail at it, um, but you should be ambitious. And this ambition can be if you're at a job at Deloitte, if you're at a job at a hospital, or if you've decided I'm going to go out and create a business that is going to bless my community in a way that nobody else has done. Right? Uh, as long as you're doing it the right way, ambition is a really good thing, and the patterns all throughout Scripture. So, how does it go wrong? Well. Does the Bible have any ungodly ambition? Well, actually, ungodly ambition is really easy to find. You're going to find it in your two-year-old who thinks that that toy is only for him or her, right? Uh, also, uh, Judas was super ambitious. Uh, I believe that Jesus, uh, that Judas wanted Jesus to go ahead and conquer the Romans. He saw the power that Jesus had. Uh, he was trying to push Jesus to a conflict because he knew that he could pull down the angels and do the whole thing, and he had the money basket, uh, the money box, and so um, anytime you're the treasurer of a world leader, you're probably going to do really well. Judas was super ambitious in all the wrong ways. He was ambitious for himself. Uh, Haman was absolutely ambitious, um, and again, if there's any spelling errors in here, it's because I did this today, um, and I just apologize. I'm, uh, my wife has like kind of like a PhD. It's a Juris doctorate, which says, says doctorate in it, and I'm like sub GED crapshits. So she's Dr. Crapshits, sub GED crapshits. I can't spell my way out of a wet paper bag, but I've got great PowerPoint skills. So um, if you see uh, spelling ears, I apologize right now. Haman was super ambitious. He wanted to be um, the right hand person of the king, and he wanted to destroy the Jews in the process. That was part of his ambition. And obviously, it was all about him. Um, in the world that we live in, Selfish ambition is everywhere. And again, so many Christians have then run away from ambition. They said, you know what, I see that selfish stuff, and the only way that I can run away to avoid that is to run the other direction. We've seen it with a lot of people, like, I've seen people get drunk, I'm never going to have alcohol. I've seen people shoot people, I'm never going to have a gun, right? And so, no, we need to redeem these things. We need to not focus on how it could go bad. We need to focus on how God wants it to go well. 
And so that is my encouragement to you that we are going to be ambition, ambitious. Uh, and generally, bad ambition, this ambition, um, you can identify it by the three G's. Guns, glory, and girls. So if you're going after one of those, you're probably doing ambition in all the wrong way. So just remember that. That's a good way to check yourself. Am I just trying to make a ton of money? Am I trying to get a ton of power and glory? Um, or am I just trying to get a ton of women? You can uh, quote that. Okay, uh, moving right along. Godly ambition, what does it look like? What should it look like to have godly ambition? Um, we talked about examples in the Bible. We talked about Abraham. We talked about the Great Commission. Um, godly ambition is always marked by dying to self. So when you're thinking about your next business venture, I want to create wealth for my community. I want to create wealth for my family. If you are doing that and you actually realize that actually at the heart of hearts, I want a Ferrari and I just want it to be really cool for me, right? Then you are not dying to self. You are trying to uh, be ambitious for yourself. The difference between godly ambition and worldly ambition is where it's directed, and a lot of actions look very similar. You can see someone working a 14-hour day as a godly ambitious person and a 14-hour day as a uh, pagan ambitious person. But it's where is your focus, where is your direction? So if you are being ambitious for others, if you're dying to self in the way that you work at work, um, in the way that you go home when you're totally exhausted and then you pour yourself at your kids and you help with the dishes, um, if you are um, dealing with kids in the middle of the night, and letting your husband sleep in. All of these things are a different kind of ambition where you're dying to self. Well, only through Christ can we die to self, and that's what godly ambition looks like. Um, you also, godly ambition should always have goals, and you should always set a goal. Uh, it is so easy for Christians, and I've seen this in our prayer life. If you say, Lord, I would really like a Ferrari, that's a very specific prayer, and one that will probably get a no answer. I mean, you don't know. Sometimes you get Ferraris. But generally, the answer is going to be no to that. And so Christians try and protect themselves from very specific prayers like that. Lord, help me be more holy tomorrow. Can you quantify that? Are you more holy tomorrow? I don't know. But if you say, Lord, please give me an example where someone is super annoying to me and I handle it well. Ooh, what if God answers that? That is a very specific question, right? You just said, Lord, I want this thing because I want to be a better spiritual person. And so in our prayer life, we need to be way more specific because that's how you learn. Like, okay, does God want me to have this or God does not want me to have this? And you, know, you don't know that if they're very vague general prayers. But when it comes to ambition, whether it's business goals, whether it's family goals, whether it's church goals, set an ambitious goal that you know whether you accomplish it or not. If you just say, I want to grow my church next year, you might. And then you can say success is one additional person. Right? If you say, Lord, I would like to quadruple my, my church next year. Well, you've now prayed a specific thing and you're striving for a specific thing that you might fail at. Right? But at least you set a goal. Every goal that is not set is never hit. Um, you, have to, you have to strive for something. Everybody in business knows this. And so as an ambitious Christian, in every area of our life where you want to be ambitious, you have to set a goal that's difficult. And then you have to measure whether you did Right? And you're like, wow, he's a rocket scientist. It's amazing. Um, but that's the reality. Most Christians are afraid of doing that because then they're afraid that they will fail. And they will fail in a very measurable way. And so that's part of dying to self is saying, I want to accomplish X and I want to do it for other people. 
and then I'm going to do it, uh, and then I'm going to pick a strategy, I'm going to make a plan, and I'm going to execute like mad, and shoot, I might fail at this thing. But if you don't do those things, you're actually not being ambitious, you're actually just being a mad. Just say it out loud. So, my encouragement to you is pick an ambitious goal for, like we're nearly at the end of the year, pick an ambitious goal for next year. Is it a financial goal? That's fine, as long as it's focused on other people. You're blessing other people. I want my kids to be in a position where I can afford that college. Um, is it a church growth goal? Is it, I'm gonna create a business next year, and I'm gonna create a business that has two employees, right? That is a specific measurable thing that you are now striving for. And then that should be um, the rock in your picture. I'm gonna give you this little business analogy for you. Now, if you have um, a, big, a couple big rocks, some gravel and some sand, and you have a pitcher, and you put in the sand first, and then the gravel, and then you try and put in the rocks, it won't fit. And think of those rocks as the big things that you need to accomplish next year. Those are your big headliner goals, the big rocks. If you start by focusing on those rocks, and then you put in the gravel, and it kind of filters around the big rocks and then the sand, everything fits in the pitcher, right? And so what you need to do is sit down with your family. My wife and I used to have a strategic retreat. We would go somewhere, generally in February, because it's really cold in Idaho, and we would go to California or Mexico or wherever, and we'd call it a strategic retreat, and I'd expense it through one of my LLCs. Anyway, we would do this, and we would set goals for ourselves, like what are we trying to accomplish? What are we trying to accomplish for the family? What measurable things do we want to see for the kids this year? What measurable things do we want to see for our businesses? What measurable things do we want to see for our family? Um, and it takes a lot of faith to set up measurable goals like that. Because again, you might fail at them. But then, once you have those big goals, then you're like, okay, what's the gravel? What's the stuff we need to do to fill in around those goals to basically support them? And then sand, that's just the stuff that comes at you that's kids' sports and committee meetings or whatever it is. So, but set yourself, set your family some big goals this coming year. And it's very easy to let another year go by, another year go by, and I haven't done anything. Like, ah, I know I need to go do something. I'm thinking about starting a business, but it's now been seven years. Well, so we're near the end of the year. Spend the next couple of months planning with your spouse or your friends. What's my goal for next year? What do I want to accomplish? So that 50 years from now, I can point at and say, I set a goal, and by the grace of God, I was blessed by that goal. That's what a Christian ambition looks like. It has to be done to bless other people. If you do those things, you'd be surprised how rewarding it is. Um, and always remember, God brings the increase in all of these things, right? Man makes the plans, God brings the increase. And if you forget that for a minute, um, then you're probably going to start veering into an ungodly pagan ambition. Um, your ambition should be for others. It should be to make your community better, your church better, um, this is how you build businesses. And by the grace of God, I have been able to build a lot of businesses and build, build beautiful buildings and put a lot of Christmas decorations on them because we have those specific goals. I am not the smartest person in the world, but um, I work hard and I set goals. So there you go. You should do that. Okay. Now, how does this apply to uh, business? I'm going to get to the talk business. That's a really good slide. Is that one? Uh, next slide. Um, uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the businesses that I've been involved in, but mostly I want to encourage you that we are in a market opportunity right now. Nate talked about this a little bit. Google is um, setting themselves up as the standard, and therefore I think we have a market opportunity. The vast majority of the country does not want this woke ideology, and they are willing to spend extra time and effort to not support this woke ideology. Okay? This is an example. We were working with, we had a customer come to us, 
and they said, hey, you can't post this job on Indeed.com. Here's a nice local business you have here in Austin because you refer to your business as a God-fearing business. We've had other businesses who referred to themselves as a freedom-loving business, and they were rejected from Indeed. Uh, Answers in Genesis was kicked off Indeed because they're a known terrorist organization, as we all know. Uh, and Ken Ham even wrote them a letter and said, hey, we're just a Christian organization with an ark. And they're like, yeah, you can't ever post job with us. Um, and like that's the world we live in right now. But that also disruption means opportunities. There's a huge market opportunity in the freedom economy right now because you see businesses like Indeed or Google or Amazon or Apple, and all of them are kicking customers off of their platform. Well, what does that sound like? Customers who need a new platform, right? And I'm doing it with Red Balloon, and I'll talk about that a little bit. But we are getting market opportunities. So as you think about what business you want to start, keep that in mind. We have a really interesting market opportunity with this. Okay. Let's talk about redeeming the world of work and the business you're going to start next year. Remember, we we're going to set those goals, and it looks a lot like you starting a business. Now, not everybody's an entrepreneur. That's okay. I'm going to give you some principles that are really helpful as an employee as well. Okay. When you're starting a business, when you're thinking about starting a business, um, Simon Sinek has this whole start with why. Have you all seen that? It's like the three concentric circles. You should look it up. I won't believe it a point. But basically, he says the best businesses don't start with how or what. They start with why. What are we fundamentally trying to do? And so um, Christians have the best why because we have a creator in heaven, and we know the creator. We understand how the world works, as Nate talked about. If we fundamentally believe that humans are made for work, then we're not going to say that AI is going to replace all humans because we believe that humans are created for work. AI is going to be an interesting tool that's going to make us more productive, but humans are created for work, and God has called us. Six days shall you work. There was work in the Garden of Eden before sin. So work is a good thing. It's good for your soul. It's good for your body. You can unpack that. Anyway, so um, we, you should start with a why. Why are you starting a business right now? I'm going to give you an example of a why. A good friend of mine, uh, Robert Netsley, started Inspired Investment. He was an investment banker. I don't know if you guys heard of Inspired. He was an investment banker down in Carmel, California. And he was the head of investment banker for Carmel, California, making an enormous amount of money. He had two kids, one on the way beautiful house, woke up one day and realized he's investing in stocks that are paying for, that make abortion drugs. What do you do? Like, he's like, I make a profit every time a mom kills her baby. What do you do? And so his options were, okay, I'm going to pretend that's not, that I didn't just realize that, or I need to do something dramatically different. So he has this very messy exit from Wells Fargo, where he was. And then they were like, okay, now what do we do? We can't afford our mortgage. I don't have a job. I just did something really important. But he had a very, uh, very clear why on what he's trying to do. So he went and started creating. He moved to Idaho. He's down in southern Idaho, down in Boise. He started Inspired Investment. And he said he lived on ramen and baked potatoes for about four years to build this business that is biblically-based investment. He basically ranks all publicly traded businesses based on how much they support the LGBTQ agenda, abortion, or any of those um, category of evil activities because his thesis is if you avoid horrible political activity, you're probably going to be better at business, right? I know people at Silicon Valley Bank who told me before they went out of business they did a microaggression training every week. Anytime your employees are spending more time on something not your business, 
your business is going to struggle, right? That's not like rocket science. That's just the way it is. So Robert Netsley's theory was if you have biblically-based investment, you're going to do this. Robert now has many billions of dollars under management at Inspired Investment. He ranks all businesses. So if you're ever thinking about supporting a business, investing in a business, um, you can go and see his free tool, and he will tell you everything about that business based on how much they support LGBTQ, abortion, etc. He actually called Costco up when they supported a gay pride parade and said, we are a significant shareholder in Costco, and we are dramatically opposed to what you just did, and so we are going to need to pull our funds out unless you change your behavior. And it's interesting, the head of investment for Costco said thank you, because I only hear from the people on the left. They're so good at whining. And you people on the right are terrible at whining. We're just live and let live. And now I can go to the board meeting and say, you know what, we have investors on both sides of this issue. We probably should just not support this parade, right? Fantastic. So, and he did that because he had a very clear why. I can't support abortion anymore. I need to make a hard stop no matter how hard it is for my family. He was super ambitious, but he needed to have ambition going the right direction. Uh, another example, Public Square, another good friend of ours, Michael and his wife wanted to make a list of businesses in San Diego that did not require a mask when you went in, primarily coffee shops, because he's like, this is the image of God, I'm not going to wear a mask. I'm, and so he would fight this all and everywhere he went. He's like, I'm just going to make a list of all the businesses that don't require that. And then he started doing past coffee shops or restaurants and other businesses. Then he went past San Diego and all of Southern California. Then he went to all of California. Uh, Public Square went public a couple of months ago. They have over 70,000 businesses on their platform, well over a million consumers, and you can think of them as Yelp for conservatives. And what Michael wanted to do was solve a problem for himself and his family, and then he realized that was a problem that lots of other people have. So as you think about your business, these are, these are freedom economy, market opportunities, but as you think about the business you might want to start or you want to be involved in, you need to have a clear why. Why am I doing this? What is the problem I'm solving for all of my, for all the consumers around me? And if you need a business idea, just think, what's the biggest problem I've had in the last week? And then go ask three friends if they've had the same problem. And then solve the problem. Like, that's it. It's really easy to start a business as well. It's actually not hard, easy at all. But pretend it is. So, okay. So you need to have a clear why. The second thing is you need to act like a Christian. And this applies whether you are a business owner or just an employee, I would encourage you. Most Americans would appreciate Judeo-Christian values in the workplace, but it's the three woke tards in every office that are wrecking it for the rest of us. Um, and I know this because we actually did a survey. We uh, last June we did uh, we considered June to be coming out conservative month. Um, I guess other things happened in June too. I don't know, but I thought coming out conservative month it'll be funny, uh, and it was. And uh, so like 150,000 people opened our email and many of them got back to us and they said, look, you don't have to be shrill like the left is. You don't have to jam your worldview down their throat. Just live your values out loud. Just live your values out loud for one month. Meaning, if someone says, hey, how was your weekend? Say, well, I had a glorious Sunday at church with my uh, church community and then we had a big potluck and I just love my church and my family and it was just a glorious weekend. And it's surprising how many people wrote me and said that was the hardest thing I've ever said because we tend to self-censor ourselves. We're living like live. We don't want to. And you're not telling them they need to go to church. You're just saying, I went to church and I loved it. And you'd be surprised how dramatic that impact was. I heard stories from people who were on Red Balloon. They're like, so I did this. 
and I found out that 95% of my workplace is like, oh yeah, I went to church too. Cool, right? And it was only, again, those three wotards that were driving the whole ship. And so you need to act like a Christian at work, whether you are the boss or whether you're an employee. Don't be afraid of who you are. Jesus came to the world and fundamentally changed it. It should fundamentally change the way that you behave to other people. You don't have to hand out tracts. You don't have to uh, do a gospel message in the lobby of your business every morning. But you do need to live distinctly like a Christian. That means you don't talk behind other people's back. That will differentiate you more than you know. You don't, um, if there is a party where everyone is getting drunk, you don't get drunk. Um, if there is an opportunity to go traveling with someone of the opposite sex that you're not married to, you say, I'm sorry, I can't take that trip because I want to be above board. I'm sorry, I just can't do it. You can fire me if you want, but I, I am not willing to do that because I want to be above reproach in my community. When you start to act like that at work, you will be shocked at the impact that it has on your workplace. And if you're the boss, you have an incredible opportunity. Um, I have had many employees, um, and I'll tell you this, when you're the boss, you have a lever with your employees that nobody else does. So I had an employee once who had a real anger problem. Um, and I know this because he would blow up at people at work. And I said, okay, so-and-so, if you ever do this again, I'm going to fire you. And I will stop sending you a paycheck. And that got his attention. And I said, so you need to go to a pastor or whatever you need to do. You need to deal with this all the way down. What I knew is that sin doesn't stay confined in nice little boxes. If you have an anger problem at work, I bet you have an anger problem at home. If you're lazy at work, I bet you're lazy at home. So when you're starting a business, you're not just doing it to create wealth. You are managing everlasting souls. And you have an opportunity to speak to them in a way that nobody else does because you signed their paycheck. You have a lever over them. And so I've had the opportunity, and anybody who's an employer who's thinking like a Christian has the opportunity to lead people in a way that's totally different. So whether you're the manager, whether you're the boss and you started the business, or whether you're just an employee, Act distinctly Christian at work. I have had people come into my office and say, you know, hey, so-and-so is doing such a terrible job. And I said, hey, have you talked to him first? And they're like, uh, no. I'm like, oh, well, let's go get him real quick. The three of us have a conversation right now. Well, guess what? Gossip stops in a hurry when you do that kind of stuff, right? And that's how you can, whether you're the boss or just an employee, act like a Christian. It will shock everyone. It will sometimes make them mad, but it will be the right thing to do. And so that's my encouragement when you're in the workplace. Um, and then be that mini creator, which we talked about. Start a business. Go strive to do something that is really difficult for yourself. Um, if you find that you are very good at video games and know all the college football scores, you might not be spending your time doing the best things. I'll say it out loud. I'm sorry because I love football. I have a lot of children that play sports, so I watch their sports. Um, but we have only so many years on this planet. Let's use them well to glorify God and do things for ever other people. The last thing we're going to do, and this is a twofer, and I'm going to jam through this sucker, is hire wealth. So if you're a manager, you need to hire people who are not going to wreck your culture. Patriot Mobile, who's in uh, Dallas, um, actually Grapevine, they hired a customer service person not using Red Balloon, and lo and behold, that person just about nuked their business. They actually shared confidential information outside of the business. They did a lot of things that were very bad for the business because they did not hire well. So we are going to jam through this thing. And the main thing I want you to walk away with is you should use Red Balloon for any of your hiring. It's a free advertisement. Okay, how do you hire a value line person? The reason I want to hit this is this is a microcosm of so many things that we deal with. Christians, conservatives, we tend to self-censor. 
and we tend to think, I'm not allowed to ask certain things in an interview, therefore I'll never ask, and I'm going to hire someone who hates me, right? And that's not actually true. So here's how you want to think about the hiring process, and I think we'll share these slides so you don't have to memorize them. But here's your process, got it? Okay, any questions? Okay, first, you need to create a cultural statement. When you are hiring someone, you need to define what the culture is in your department or your business, or if you're a boss or manager, what is your culture? Your culture doesn't have to be um, Jesus, God, Bible. Your culture can be, I want people to take ownership because responsibility flows to those who take, or, or uh, authority flows to those who take responsibility, therefore I want a, a culture of responsibility taking. Okay, cool, you defined your culture. So start with a cultural statement, do it. Here's one example. Um, we actually did this for a customer. And so we defined this, and you are allowed to use this in the interview process. This is the culture that we're looking for, just to let you know. Uh, when I was the CEO of Emsi, I hired a lot of people who were not Christians, and everyone I said, I just want you to know, I am an unapologetic conservative Christian CEO. It's not a prerequisite, it's not a weird thing, but this is who I am, and it means that I'm going to run a business a certain way. If you're uncomfortable with that, now's a good time for you to know. I had three people in 15 years say, you know what, I'm not comfortable with that. And we saved each other both a lot of heartache. But everybody else, as my lawyer told me, it's the equivalent of saying the contents of this cup might be hot. And so now they can't sue me for being a Christian CEO because I told you before you took the job, and then you took the job. So don't be afraid of living your values out loud as a boss. Um, create screening questions. These should always be open-ended, evidence-based questions in the interview process. You can say things like, um, at our company, we have a culture of taking responsibility and not getting drunk and blessing customers. What does blessing customers mean to you? Right, that's a very open-ended question describing your culture. You can describe your culture all the time. You don't have to ask them questions like, do you go to church? Uh, but you want to ask those screening questions that are open-ended. Tell me about a time that you uh, improved something that wasn't part of your job. That's an example of an open-ended, evidence-based question. And I'm flying through this thing. Um, uh, use interest in your company to screen resumes. And because we're short on time, I'm just jamming. Uh, use screen questions from step two to evaluate your interviews. So you create these open-ended questions and just ask them. And don't be afraid of just sitting there quietly and letting them squirm with the word bless. Or whatever word you're going to use for your cultural distinctives when you're hiring. Okay? Keep jamming. Um, create a one-page recommendation. This is actually really important. So if you're hiring with other people, um, if you get everyone in the room and say, hey, what do you think? Well, the first person to say, hmm, I kind of liked them, now has influenced dramatically everybody else in the room. You're talking about someone that you might be paying six figures a year to that is going to dramatically impact your culture. This is a really big decision. Hiring should not be taken lightly when you're running a business. And so write down what your recommendations are and then bring that to the meeting because then, you can't make that up as you go. Um, act on the candidate immediately. So the last thing is if everybody's like, yep, they're really good, you need to hire them immediately because um, we are in a tight labor market and they're going to go away. Here is an example of a screening document. So we have this for every time we hire, and we do this for employers, we actually do hiring for them. And so we'll go through and we'll screen them. We'll say company fit, passion, integrity, whatever the cultural distinctives are for that business, we'll rank order them. And when you have this document created by multiple people put together, your hiring process will be way, way better. And again, we'll probably show these slides. 
then we create a health check, we make sure that the whole process is working, we then screen people, it's amazing. And how can you assure that you get values aligned people that know about this opportunity? There you go, mentalin.org.